Want to do better? Then it's time to change the story. Welcome to our show about new visions currently transforming the world through the confluence of art, tech, and innovation. And now your hosts, Michael Ashley and Neil Sahota. Hey, welcome to another episode of Changing the Story. Got a fantastic guest today, Jose Luis Ramos. He's a second year MBA student at MIT and currently working at Google. Jose majored in civil engineering at UC Irvine, go Anteaters, but realized that his passion lied at the intersection of business, psychology, and tech, which led him to the world of startups. At MIT, he's co-founding Mindfulness and Leadership, and is focused on building a community of future business leaders that want to cultivate their mindfulness practice. He's also the co-president of the Hispanic Business Club. Hey, Jose, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. Um, and if you wouldn't mind, before we get started, doing a little moment of arrival. Um, so if you'd be open to taking three deep breaths with me, that's going to help me settle in. Sure. Let's do it. So we can start. Thank you. Absolutely. That's a good way to start an interview. So Jose, what is the story that you would like to bring to the world? Yeah, so the story that I've been working on uh, building is really this notion that self-awareness development, particularly in our educational periods as, as students, is fundamental in creating the type of thoughtful and innovative leaders that we want for tomorrow. Um, so it's really about how do we bring this notion of the importance of self-awareness into the classroom, into the business world, and into all the areas where we get to interact with one another. Why do you, so why do you think this is needed at this particular moment? I have my own reasons why I think it's needed, but I'm curious as, as to yours. Yeah. Well, the main reason why it's needed is because it's not happening. Um, so both of my undergrad and currently being an MBA student, I think we focus a lot on the data of things, on the technology of, uh, you know, that, that we need to think about or on like NPVs, you know, on financial analysis. But rarely do we think about, well, what's the long-term impact of our decisions? And in a world that's getting more complex and where we have tools to have much wider impact, I think it's really, really important to um, to have a practice of self-awareness so that we can think more holistically about the problems at hand. So that is interesting, uh, a classical called philosophy, right? It's actually really needed, but it's not something that we normally teach. And we live mm -hmm. in a culture, corporate culture of short-term thinking. How did you come into all this? I mean, what kind of unlocked and you realized that kind of aha moment that there's a real need here and I got to fill the gap. Mm. I'd say um, I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday about this. So it's top of mind for me. Um, I was really fortunate during my time at UC Irvine uh, that the Dalai Lama came to speak when I was, uh, I think I was either like a sophomore or a junior. And I remember I was going to my, it was either between my math class or going to see the Dalai Lama. And I was conflicted. I was like, I need to go to math. I need to be a good student, right? 
but I was like, wait, there's this opportunity to see and hear from someone completely different. And long story short, I made the decision to go see the Dalai Lama. And there was something about experiencing his presence. Um, I mean, I was in a stadium full of people, but there was something about a calmness that um, he radiated. And also what he talked about, which is the impact that emotions have on our decision-making abilities um, and how anger, for example, can create a little bit of a tunnel vision. And I think there's research now that actually showcases that our peripheral does get um, shortened when we're, when we're angry. Um, so, so for me, kind of having that early on, and then I just became really curious about how my brain worked and, and how my emotions impacted how I see the world. And so I just started practicing again when I was about a junior. And so I've been at this for about nine years. Um, and ultimately I've seen how it has impacted me in, in the world of sales, which is where most of my career has been. And I think it's something that I'm just super curious about, like what would happen, right? If we had more leaders who were compassionate, more leaders who could sort of like self-assess, Hey, before I say this, let me, let me, let me sort of like be aware of what I'm about to say and the impact it's going to have. Um, like just, just imagine what would happen in that type of world. You know, I hear you say that. And um, <clears throat> I was watching an interview with one of the presidential candidates. I won't say which one. Um, and I, I could see that person saying, you know what? I do that anyway. I'm, I'm, I'm always compassionate. I'm always thinking about these kinds of things. I feel like our leaders, have to say those kinds of things. Oh yeah, I think about that stuff too. Um, mm. But I think that their actions don't show that as you might ag agree. So how, how, first of all, do we get someone to change their thinking about this and to paint us a picture of what that looks like um, when, when a leader begins to think this way? Mm. So I'd say, the best place to start is really out of curiosity and just being curious about what this might mean for you. I think unfortunately a lot of people end up um, developing a mindfulness practice out of some sort of suffering or some sort of big pain that they're going through a divorce or their company failing or getting fired. And sort of you try all these things and you're like, wait, wait, let me try this other thing. And this other thing, after you've done a few of the typical things that we go to, you'll try mindfulness. You're like, hey, th there's something here. There's something about sitting with myself. Um, so I say one is, is getting curious, but what does it look like in building it? You know, we ran, um, so I'm building mindfulness and leadership at MIT and initially wanted to get a sense of what was holding people back from practicing. And we ran a survey here at our campus and the two biggest responses that we got was not having enough time and not knowing where to start. Um, I think not having enough time is something that we're always going to come up with, right? So somehow we have to um, find it in ourselves to want to schedule this in, which I think curiosity helps that, but then also having communities and places where you can go to, where you can kind of have someone that's teaching you or, or sharing these practices with you. And so our, our three pillars are really mindfulness training, community building, because we do find that a lot of people are interested in this, but they're very siloed. Everyone's sort of like little islands. Um, and then the third component is about the leadership development. I think a lot of times um, things of mindfulness focus on stress or kind of like the harder things in life. You see a lot of these coming out of like hospitals, but we wanted to focus on the impact that it can have on your, the positive impact it can have on your abilities. And sort of, if you're looking for that, you know, what's the, what's the way that I up my game? Um, you can do it by, by sort of working on the internal game. I think, and most, I, I, I loved hearing LeBron James talking about this. He's like, there was a point where, you know, I was already 
the next level for me was figuring out myself internally, right? So I was, I think that's what um, is interesting about all this work. It's actually interesting. You said that a lot of people seem to want this, need this, but you mentioned the word siloed and it sounds like it's actually hard to get hooked into something and figure out how to use it. Is that a fair statement? And if that's the case, like if you got some leaders right now listening, wondering how do I get hooked into this? How do they actually do that? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's, um, I like that question. Cause we're like, we don't want this to become the next thing people obsess over. Right. Um, but also it's not a magical pill. So the thing about mindfulness practice, it's more about being proactive around it. There's definitely things that happen in our world um, where there's like a mental health condition or, or something that really needs to be tended to by a medical professional. Um, but when it comes to, um, to mindfulness training, I do see it more of a proactive tool. And so in terms of leaders, um, this is why I'm working at the MBA level. My goal is that, you know, and I see a lot of my classmates are going to go on to become um, you know, C-level executives, founders, you know, high-level people within the organizations. And I think there's something about these practices being top-down so that when you go into a meeting room, for example, what we did at the beginning of a moment of arrival, literally like one minute just kind of like to help us settle can be a great way to um, start to showcase how these practices can be helpful. Um, and, and so it, it, it literally can be with just one minute um, you know, I don't know, I had five meetings today. So if I did one minute for each one of them, I already did five minutes of, of sitting, you know, so it, it kind of um, accumulates like that. You said earlier that a lot of times people come to a mindfulness practice because of suffering that they've had in their lives. And I can say that that's how I came to it. Um, mm. Several years ago, I found that I was um, distracted, uh, irritable, having problems uh, in, with my marriage and in other relationships and just feeling just generally, generally unease. And uh, then I, I turned to meditation um, and then developed a pr practice where I do it twice a day. And uh, it's, it's had dramatic impacts on, on my life and in so many different ways. And I'm just curious from you, if, if you had something similar that brought you to it in terms of suffering or what brought you initially into this? Yeah, I'd say that, um, and one of my meditation instructors called this out, and he's like, Jose, you're, you're kind of weird because you came out of this from being curious, um, right? When I started to show up to the center that was across uh, UC Irvine, which is called the, um, the Center for Living Peace, I was there because I, I really was curious about how my mind was working and how, like, what I didn't know. And... But I would say what has kept me practicing is things that have then happened afterwards. Um, and so in recognizing that, um, for example, just simple things like road rage, I used to be, this used to be a big thing for me. Like if you looked at me while I was driving, I would, I would think you wanted to race me and I would think bad things about you. But it was like actually through cultivating a practice that I sort of became less aggressive as a person and was able to be more compassionate to thinking, hey, maybe that person that just cut me off um, has an emergency that they're actually trying to get to. So I don't need to sort of respond with this aggression. And then what I started to see was these moments in my life where having had a practice allowed me to respond differently. And just as a quick example, 
my car was parked and there was a car that came and hit it from the back and just completely smashed the trunk. And I saw it and I was looking at it and my dad came out and he was yelling and he was telling the person like how stupid they were. And I was just, I was looking at my dad respond and I, I, I wanted to respond like that, but I just said, Hey, that's not going to help us like solve the problem at hand. What I need to solve is getting the insurance information, taking pictures and getting this taken care of. Right. And so it was in, in, it's been a lot of those little micro moments where I see, wow, I didn't respond in kind with like aggression, or I was able to see more holistically the picture at hand that I then saw different results. And so that has been what's kept me. Um, but I also had a few, um, you know, this might be a little more personal than I intended to share, share but last semester I was really, really struggling. Um, and mindfulness was not like having a mindfulness practice was no longer helping. And it was actually getting attention from a, a mental health um, center at MIT that, that really sort of helped me see and reflect on, on, on my emotions. Um, so I'd say it's my influence is not going to be the cure for a lot of those things, but I think it's a combination of them. I hope you're, you're doing better now, Jose. A lot better. Yeah. It's yeah. been great. I, uh, I'm kind of curious, right? Because a lot of people tell me that I'm Mr. Calm, Mr. Cool, Mr. Collected, but it irritates the heck out of some people right yeah it's like something's happening like you know we have the we have first we had some fire wildfires go on and you know yeah evacuate and you know people are like why are you so calm about this like they're, they're, they want to run around all the time and it's just like i'm just sort of thinking like okay what do we need to get who do we have to get where are we going to go right mm -hmm. so, some people respect it and some people it, it just like i said irritates them I, I can tell you so many stories about that. <laughs> is that a drawback to mindfulness? Is there something special people need to, to realize? Is that a, just a thing to be aware of? I mean, it's, it's kind of a weird reaction to that, right? Yeah. I, uh, as you were telling me that we had a conversation with a VP at a company, they're one of the biggest like flower distributors in the world. And he talked about how on March 13th, they lost about 80% of their revenue. So imagine being the leader of this company. All of a sudden, you lose 80% you list of your Everyone's freaking out. What's going to happen if you as the leader freak out as well? Right? There is inherent value in being cool, calm, collected. Um, and maybe it throws off people a little bit. But I think it throws us off because um, we're so used to responding in kind. Right? We're so used to responding with our emotions. Um, but I think it, it, there is a lot of value in now the, the thing is you're not um, rejecting what's happening, right? You're not like, Oh, everything's on fire. Like it's going to be fine. Like not at all. Right. If anything, you're saying everything's on fire. We need to get a handle of this, but I need to stay confident because people are going to be looking at me. And then when I, when I start freaking out as a leader, that's just going to go down the chain. Right. So I think there's a lot of value. And if people feel weird about it, uh, I think that's a good teaching moment for ourselves, right? If, if I'm being bothered by your calmness, um, that's a good moment to ask myself, why am I being bothered by Neil's calmness? Like, like why do I want him to be pissed off the way I am? And hopefully that's a teaching moment for ourselves. And it's like, actually, maybe I can learn something. Hey, Neil, how do you keep calm? Are you not freaking out about this moment? We're all about calm. We're all bothered by your calmness, Neil. No, <laughs> uh, you are very calm. I have noticed that about you. You are very calm. I have a related question. I, I yeah. have, right before this, this Zoom call, I'm working on a book. 
And uh, we're I, in this section of the book, I was talking about Mad Men, the TV show. So mm. my mind was thinking about how business practices were, you know, in the 1960s, 1970s. And in my head, <laughs> I think about mindfulness. Uh, yeah. I think about the, if you'll call, uh, call it old school mentality. I think especially mm. a lot of men uh, mm-hmm. who have a need to prove themselves, be uh, the alpha males, have, have you know, testosterone filled that they might view this as somehow weakness. And I wonder what your thoughts are about that, because it seems to, to me that people, and, and if you'll call this an enlightened era, I don't know if we want to think about it that way, but in our present moment, it seems to me people are more receptive to these ideas, especially because <laughs> tech has definitely embraced them. And yet I think that a lot of men in particular uh, have some issues with them, kind of related to what mm-hmm. you talking about with calmness. And I wonder what your thoughts are about this. Yeah, I'd say for me, it's really about the practicality of having a mindfulness practice. And I don't, I have wondered about that myself as well. Like, oh, is this going to make me weak? Is this going to make me, I don't know, miss out on something? And at least what I've learned is that the practice does let you see and understand the problems at hand a lot better. And I think that's way more valuable than being the person that comes in and like pounds her fist and says, this is my way. I think it's getting hard, harder and harder to be a this is my way type of leader because the world is getting so much more complex. And it really is getting harder for one person to have kind of like the answers or the way to be. Um, so I, I, Again, I think that's a moment of exploration, right? If you see it as a weakness, like why, why does this threaten my masculinity? Why does this threaten my ability to lead when there's a lot of research now by Brene Brown on the impact of vulnerability? And I think if we want to build more um, diverse and inclusive environments and leaders actually want to lead those, they don't just want to want to put a little line on their websites that say that they're an inclusive company, but they actually want to be one, um, they're going to have to find ways to open themselves up because they'll be opening themselves up to different perspectives. Um, so yeah, I, it's a little bit meta maybe, but it's this, this notion of really reflecting at that point, like why is this threatening me? And I, I think for me, I've sort of not thought about that in quite some time now, because I don't feel it that way, right? If I'm proving results and I'm just delivering um, more than my counterparts, that, that, that is also pretty valuable to me. Um, and so I think that's, uh, hopefully going to encourage people to want to, you know, take take a peek at this in their own lives. Sure. I suspect there's always a little bit of skepticism out there. I know that you uh, started your mindfulness and leadership club at MIT. Yeah. How's that going? Maybe hearing the story of how it's resonated might uh, convert some of those skeptics. Yeah. And first of all, let me say skepticism is super healthy. Um, we don't like cynicism is a little different, but, but being skeptical about the practice, I think is so important. I, I think one of the issues that we're getting in today is that, you know, if I follow you, Neil, as a leader and you say something, I have to automatically believe you. And I think that's getting us in a lot of trouble. What I should do is I believe and I trust in Neil. What he's saying seems true. Let me experience it myself. And if it's not, let me throw it away. If it's actually good, let me go ahead and incorporate it into my day to day. So I actually think the skepticism around a lot of this is, is very healthy and keeps the practice alive. Um, I would say that we've been really surprised at how 
I don't know if well-received is the right word, but just how much curiosity and interest there is around this. Um, and in less than a year, we've built an organization with over 100 members, um, just from, from MIT Sloan. And actually, this, um, this upcoming December, we have this thing called Sloan Intensive Period, where we get to take workshop classes. And we were able to work with our leadership center to uh, bring in Search Inside Yourself, which is a group that spun out of Google. Um, which again, I, I love their line, like search inside yourself. It's like, you know, and search and Google and all these things. Um, and so they really have done a good job of packaging a lot of these practices along with neuroscience. Um, and what we are seeing is really that in the core curriculum today, like we don't really get to explore the notions of EQ, the notions of compassion, um, and in doing that, it might lead us to continue to be leaders that solve the wrong problems. And let me just give you a quick story about this. I was on a call with um, someone who leads one of the centers at MIT, and he's telling me about his practice and his framework, which is CPR, which is compassion, practice, and research. And he was sharing a story of how compassion tends to be the hardest thing to, to kind of like share and, and get students to be thinking about. And he was telling the story of a student who wanted to solve um, who really cared about water and wanted to solve some of the water problems in India. And what he was focused and laser focused on was on water leakage that, that comes out of pipes. Um, and there's, a, I don't know, I think something between 20 to 30%. <clears throat> and so the student wanted to solve that problem. He's like, I need to solve that problem. But he said, okay, before I do that, let me go to India for two months and see what that problem is actually like. Let me build some compassion and empathy for what I'm actually trying to solve. Whatever, two months go by, he comes back to the professor. And he says, I don't want to solve that problem anymore. Because what I realized is that people depend on the water that's leaking from the pipes because they don't have access to that water otherwise. So what I now want to solve is how do I make sure that that leaked water is actually potable and clean and not contaminated? So just like think about that, right? How many times are we solving problems from so far away without building that um, notion of compassion and empathy for the problem? Um, and I, I think it happens from just like having a, a self-awareness practice that, hey, I might not have all the answers I need to explore. I need to get out there and I need to experience it for myself. Well, I think also you're talking about being in a reactive mode. I think that sometimes, uh, especially men, I think are guilty of this. I think I'm men so much in this conversation, but <laughs> maybe it's just my own issues uh, where we feel like we have to take care of something immediately. There's a problem. We're going to solve it. But without the, I would say, the, uh, the distance and the lack of reactivity that occurs, when you meditate for a while, I think you can see bigger pictures of things and you're not just so in the reactive mode. That allows you to be, I guess, aware of things that you wouldn't be aware of. Mm -hmm. It is your perception. That, mm -hmm. when I, when, with my meditation teacher, what he was talking about to us is that things that might have seemed like problems at one point uh, become quite different. Uh, mm -hmm. It's like you begin to connect the dots in ways that that you, in ways your 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 consciousness changes. You can connect the dots in new and interesting ways. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's exactly what a mindfulness practice allows you to develop is the space between stimulus and response, right? When you're sitting and when you're doing a five minute meditation, what you're doing is you're actually building well one compassion for yourself, but also a new habit, which is if I have a thought, I'm not going to immediately react to it, right? I'm going to bring my attention back to the breath. And that is so helpful, especially in threatening environments or, or where we feel threatened, right? Like how many times have you sort of seen a shadow or some object that you thought was 
something threatening, but actually was nothing like that at all. And you, you like freak, right? And like, it's that moment of like, oh my God, what, what, what if you had this moment of like, wait, let me think first before I freak out and sort of react. Um, and so that, that's why I, I'm just gung-ho about this idea of, of bringing in more, more mindfulness and, and these notions to our day-to-day, because if we can create more space for ourselves, I really do think we would make better decisions. I know this for myself. There's so many times where my first thought is like my worst thought or my first thought is a really bad idea. But then if I give it spot, I give it some space, I don't respond. I'm like, okay, let me choose a different path. So it's really about enabling ourselves to make different choices. I think that's really important. I think the enable is the toughest part for people, right? I'm sure there's people Mm. out there thinking, you know, I'm like Neil. I've got a mind like a steel trap. It's rusty and illegal in 37 states. <laughs> well, what's it going to take for me to actually be able to achieve like this state of nirvana, yeah. right? I mean, what what does someone have to do to actually reach that level and be that compassionate leader? What's the mm. what's the commitment? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely commitment. I'd say that the other element to all of this is that um, mindfulness practice and development can happen in so many different areas of our lives. For example, if we golf, I remember taking a few golf classes earlier in, in my life and I was like, wow, there is something really powerful about this. You have to be laser focused in the present moment. And so if you already, you might already be doing something today that if you just slightly change the, the point of view that you're approaching it in, that you can use that as your own mindfulness practice. So you don't have to add anything, right? You might already do journaling. You could do something there where you're like, I'm going to turn off all my devices and I'm going to make sure that I'm just journaling. Um, if you make your coffee in the morning, one of my favorite routines is I get my, the grinder for the coffee. I put the, you know, the, there's something about that practice that I also use for this. So I think it's um, finding the daily moments that we already have in our day-to-day where we can do this. Um, but in terms of building it, I mean, it is a, a commitment. And I think there's a little bit of ROI to a lot of this where you know, if you put your dollar in today, if you put your five minutes in today, it's going to start building up. If you wait 10 years, you wait for that big crisis to happen in your life. It's just going to be different, you know, and you're going to be wanting such quick results that like, why not? Why, why wait for the big disaster when you can get started today? I think there's, I think it's Deepak Chopra, but it could be somebody else that said, he said something like, um, for, for for those that say that they can't meditate because they're too busy, well, then you definitely need to meditate. That means you are exactly right. the right person to meditate at this moment. Uh, yeah. But I, I totally understand and agree with what you're saying, Jose. And I think this will resonate with a lot of people. Um, if they want to get in touch with you and learn more about this or um, anything else that you have going on, how can they get in touch with you and learn more about you? Yeah, so I'm always happy to connect with people via LinkedIn. We also have a website, mindfulnessandleadership.com. A lot of our events right now are focused on the MIT community, but we've had a lot of interest from folks that want us to create things that are more external focused. So you'll see that on our events page. Um, And then the last way is pretty much connecting with me via via LinkedIn. I I love having these types of conversations. and even getting something as simple as Headspace, I was really skeptical, honestly, to be of like Headspace and Calm in these apps. Um, but I've started using it for the last year, sort of after having my own practice. And I think they've done a really good job of consolidating a lot of um, just like practices and information. And they have courses that you can do based on like 
things you might be interested in like relationships. But right now I've really been into their daily meditation. Um, and so they just have a daily prompt that they do. So I, that's my, my biggest ask for people. And like, if I can get one wish to kind of come true is give it a try, you know, don't, don't believe me, like try yourself and then see if it's actually something worthwhile for you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Jose, for sharing your story and uh, helping us all be more compassionate leaders. Awesome. Thanks, Dion Michael. Thank you. Hey, if you like today's show, please remember to hit the like button and leave a comment. If you've been enjoying the Changing the Story podcast series, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you.